Hey folks, uh, this is David Silkenet. I'm back with you for another episode of American History Untucked. I want to apologize for taking so long since our last episode. Uh, lots of uh, things been going on here uh, in Edinburgh, some of them good, some of them otherwise, but uh, it's been a while since uh, we last had a chance to have a show, and it's good to be back in the new year. And I've got a really special guest uh, for our epi- this episode, uh, somebody who I have been looking forward to having on the show for a really long time. Uh, my guest for this episode is Kevin Levin, uh, who I think most of you are familiar with as the author of the uh, blog Civil War Memory, uh, which has been around now for almost 10 years, which is uh, like a million years old in, in blog years. Uh, it's a blog that I first encountered uh, when I was in graduate school, and I was impressed not only by the quality of, of Kevin's writing on the blog, but by the ways in which he interacted with the general public, the way in which the blog attracted academic historians, but also Civil War enthusiasts, and a couple of people who were sort of off on the deep end in terms of uh, the way they were engaging with the topic and the ways in which all of those different kinds of people were coming together and having kind of a, a conversation about, about history and about the way history is um, commemorated in the past and the present, uh, I found really in- interesting and engaging and his ability to constantly uh, keep the blog alive and keep the blog active and, and relevant uh, was always an inspiration to me. Uh, he's the, also the author of a really excellent book came out a couple of years ago, Remembering the Battle of the Crater War is Murder, which was published by the University of Kentucky. And he's managed to do all this while teaching high school full-time, uh, first uh, in Virginia, now uh, near Boston. Uh, and as a former high school teacher who always found myself completely exhausted at the end of the day and unable to, to do much else besides prepare for my next day's worth of lessons. Uh, the fact that Kevin's been able to juggle his teaching obligations and still maintain this very uh, vigorous engagement with uh, historians of all kinds and maintain the website and do all of the other kinds of things he's engaged with. He's published for the New York Times and the Atlantic, and he's um, been engaged in continuing education uh, activities for teachers for years. Uh, he's really somebody who's a... Uh, been an inspiration for me. So it was really great to have a chance to talk to Kevin uh, about his experience with uh, the blog and with his uh, research and writings more generally. So here's my talk with Kevin Levin. Uh, welcome to the show, Kevin. It's really good to have you. Thanks, David. Nice to be with you. Uh, and happy uh, Martin Luther King Day. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> well, we don't get it off here, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, I'm grading my... on my, I'm grading on my Martin Luther King Day. So oh, okay, so, well, yeah. as a, as a high school teacher, you never really get a day off. Um, That's right. That's right. So I think most people know you from Civil War memory, and I went mm-hmm. back over the weekend to try to try to see if I could read the whole thing, and I realized that was probably a fool's errand to try to <laughs> read the whole thing. And, and one thing yeah. that I guess I knew but hadn't realized is that it's been around for almost ten years now. It has. In fact, uh, this coming November will be 10 years, which is, which is really hard to believe. Um, yeah, when I started back in 2005, um, I really had no idea what I was doing. There were a handful of history blogs, um, fewer Civil War blogs, 
And so it was more an experiment. Um, and at the time, uh, I was I was finishing up a master's degree at University of Richmond. And, you know, coming out of that program, I was thinking of ways that I could you know, share my interest in, in history and memory specifically with a broader audience. And so I just happened to come across a few key blogs. And uh, I decided um, in November of 2005 to, to give it a shot. And uh, 10 years later, yeah, it really is hard to believe. And, and so what did you, I mean, like 10 years in blog years, that's like a thousand or something, you know, I have to say yeah. dog years, but uh, yeah. you know, blogs tend to come and go and, and having a they lifespan of, of, you know, more than a few months is actually accomplishing yeah. something. That's right. Uh, but so, so your vision when you first created Civil War Memory was simply to have a so, venue for, for talking about? Yeah, that was pretty much it. It was, um, you know, I ended up writing a master's thesis about, um, you know, William Mahone and the Battle of the Crater, which, of course, eventually became uh, my first book. But, um, you know, going through a graduate program, um, you know, I was reading you know, a lot of, a lot of history that, um, I guess falls within more academic circles. And, and I've always been interested in, um, sort of a more analytical approach to the study of history. And, you know, as a teacher, as someone who was interested in writing and who had some vision of a future as a kind of public historian, whatever that meant in 2005, I thought that blogging might be able to to get me one step closer to that, at least um, to be able to to share my interest in history with, you know, whoever decided to show up on the blog. And probably the most important website blog that was up and running at that time was Mark Grimsley's Blog Them Out of the Stone Age. And of mm-hmm. course, all of your viewers uh, know Mark through his, uh, you know, his work as a Civil War historian, as a military historian generally. But what really stood out with, uh, with Blog Them Out of the Stone Age was that it was written for a general audience, uh, but it didn't dumb down any content. In fact, it was very broad. It, it dealt with you know, colonialism, gender, um, the home front, all of the kinds of um, you know, topics that, uh, that professional historians were and are still grappling with you know, within the field of military history. And I thought that it might be interesting to, to, to try and do the same thing with the Civil War. And so I was... Although I definitely have an interest in battles and leaders, um, you know, I also have an interest in um, in the broader field. And so I was wondering if there were ways to deliver some of that content, um, you know, through this medium, through the blog, and see what would stick and who would and who would come, who would who would show up and and um, and take me seriously as not just a teacher, a high school teacher, but you know, as someone who's serious about this material. And I would say for the first year, it was, um, you know, I wouldn't say it was tough going because there's nothing tough about blogging. It was, uh, it was more, am I just writing, am I just writing this for, myself? for myself? Yeah. And within a year, within two years, I would say it really started picking up. And, you know, I started getting hits from, you know, people in the field that I was reading and, I was getting emails from fellow history teachers, um, you know, who were interested in specifically the stuff that I was doing in my classroom that I was sharing uh, on the blog. And then I started getting emails from from people who were interested in having me speak about certain topics. And so it kind of just unfolded naturally. And, you know, again, within a couple of years, I had a few hundred regular readers Mm -hmm. and 
they were from a really wide spectrum uh, in terms of their backgrounds. I mean, just general Civil War enthusiasts, um, professional historians, public historians, uh, high school history teachers, uh, you name it. Yeah. And it, it, I, I'm still looking back on it. I'm, I'm still blown away by what the blog did for me in terms of my own trajectory. I could not have anticipated most of what's happened in the last, um, you know, close to 10 years. It really is quite remarkable. I mean, what, I think I started reading it probably in 2006 because I know I was still in graduate school when I first started to read the yeah. blog. And <laughs> it was one of the things that struck me was just the audience that you had and the ways in which you had academic historians, including a number of you know very well-known yeah. academic historians, sort of weighing in on the same page as Civil War enthusiasts. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was the most interesting part of it, that I was able to create a community um, where, you know, general readers, enthusiasts um, were able to freely interact with, um, with, with, the, you know, professional historians. And, you know, obviously, you know, I think, especially in the case of the Civil War, I think historians are unique in that they do have the opportunity to to reach out to the general public. And, and obviously that's an ongoing debate. And I think plenty of people in the field do it quite well. But I, I like the fact that my blog was and continues to be uh, a place where that can happen. I think that's, um, it's, it's, an, it's that part of it is one of the most rewarding experiences for me, but not just for my readers, for me. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't mind admitting that, you know, when I started getting, you know, emails from historians like, uh, you know, Ken No and, and Brooke Simpson, sure. I was I was flattered. I was like, oh, wow, these guys have plenty to do on, you know, on any given day and they're coming by my blog and leaving comments. And that was um, that definitely did a lot for my uh, my confidence and, and that I was perhaps onto something. Well, I, mean, I, I, I think that sort of speaks to to. to you know, the, the ways in which this, the site tended to attract, you know, not only academics, but he also ended up with a number of, <laughs> how should I, I'm not yes. quite sure what the right word is for it, but <laughs> uh, interested going. parties in what you were saying yeah. who disagreed with your uh, interpretation yeah. and worldview. That, that's right. And I think, you know, given that, you know, when I started the blog and up until uh, July of 2011, you know, I was... I was living in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was I was living in Central Virginia, and I think that added um, a little. Th that made it a bit more of a, at times, a tense situation uh, for me. And I won't go into the details of that, but um, let's just say I think a, a small minority, and I really want to emphasize that. Um, very rarely did I ever come into contact with um, with you know, readers that I met in various venues or, or what have you, uh, rarely did I meet people who are openly hostile. I think it's a very, very small number, but of course, they're very the, loud. Yeah. The internet obviously, uh, exacerbates that. And I think, I think for that small community, the fact that not just that I was blogging, I think the fact that I was you know, actively in the classroom, uh, that within a few years I was being welcomed into, uh, you know, to, to talk about what I was doing in various venues. I did a lot of work in Virginia uh, with with uh, K-12 teachers uh, in teaching American history grants. And I think that obviously just added, you know, fuel to the fire. And of course, you know, when you end up talking more publicly, um, you know, that just, 
when, when you're viewed as a already as an outcast, mm -hmm. uh, as an invader, if you will, um, that that doesn't help the situation. But you know, that created some issues for the blog specifically because you know quite often I would get um, pretty incendiary uh, personal emails, but of course more than more often than not blog comments, and I always sort of struggled with what to do with those comments because on the one hand, you know, I'm trying to promote this um, uh, this intelligent discussion, a safe, a safe place for people to, to leave comments and talk to one another. And at the same time, and obviously some of those comments detract from that, but at the same time, my blog is about memory. And some of those comments sort of fit into um, the ongoing, sure. ongoing Civil War memory. So, you know, I've always struggled with that. Um, I, I would estimate that, you know, somewhere around 30, 40% of the comments that I get uh, never actually get onto the site. And, you know, that's just my call and trying to maintain some kind of, you know, reasonable balance. So one thing I've never understood how you do this, and you're going to have to explain how you do your time management, because I have not figured yeah. out how you manage to run this site yeah. and teach high school full time. Yeah. <laughs> I taught high school for, for four years, and I think we started teaching high school more or less at the same time. Yeah. And I didn't have enough time to have dinner. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, read as much as you read and and write as much as you write. So, yeah, what's your secret there? Uh, definitely early in the morning um, okay. is is one secret. And then I think one thing that doesn't come across um, on the blog is that you know you can obviously write posts uh, and edit them over time. And so I I might have I might jot down some ideas and you know when I have free time during the day go back to it for a few minutes and. And work it up, and and it just looks like uh, I'm just sort of, you know, you know, pushing these things out. But but the other aspect of it is, you know, after doing this for so long, um, my I, I don't know how to describe it, but perhaps the easiest way is to say that my brain has somewhat been rewired to to write relatively short, concise uh, blog posts. Mm -hmm. And so you know, when I have an idea, it doesn't take much to you know, to get it out. And, and there's a, you know, there's, um, there's an upside and a downside to that. On the one hand, I do, I do sort of feel responsible to, to, to post on a, on as regular basis as I can, uh, just because I know people are constantly checking in. On the other hand, I don't mind admitting that, you know, some of what I write is, um, how best to put this, probably crap. And if I go back and look at it, I sometimes wonder, Hmm. You know, maybe I should not have hit the publish button at that point, um, because I, any number of times I've put my foot in my mouth, and you know, looking back on it, I might have uh, wished I had spent a bit more time. But at the same time, the the nice thing about blogging is I can always um, blogging is ongoing. It's it's. Uh, I know some bloggers like to, you know, craft these finely tuned essays before they hit the publish button. And I certainly understand that. Um, that's never really been, although I do have extended pieces, that's never been my, my approach. I like, I prefer the, um, the, more of a sketch and then seeing how it plays out, getting people's responses, and then sometimes coming back to the same subject or a similar subject and applying what I've learned. And that, I think speaks to the fact that, um, you know, one of the, one of the overall benefits for me has been just being able to, to get the feedback of so many people and, and so many people from so many different backgrounds. So how do you think the, 
the blog has evolved over the past 10 years? So I've actually thought about that um, probably more than I need to think about that. Um, right now, I'm actually having it completely redesigned, uh, and I'm going to be unveiling sort of a, a revamped site in a, a week or two. But um, I think because the... Well, there's two things. There's the blog itself and there's the website. And at first mm -hmm. I thought of the, I thought of Civil War memory as just a blog. Um, but in the last few years, I, I think of it uh, more as a website. And so um, the blog page is, is one page uh, among many. And so I, I, I see Civil War memory now as, um, as a place where, you know, people can find um, online essays that I've published. Obviously they can purchase um, my book on the crater, uh, see where I'm speaking in the area, uh, things like that. And so I see it much more as a, as a larger portal rather than uh, simply as a blog. The blog itself, um, I don't know how much the content of the blog has evolved. I think if you go back, and I've had to do this, I mean, you try to, um, to read 10 years worth of, <laughs> worth of content, but I'm actually going through it um, right now because I have this idea of turning the blog into a book uh, because you, you sort of hit the nail on the head. How does someone who's coming to the site new make any sense of what's on there? And so I've thought about ways to organize it into, into individual chapters. Um, but I think definitely there's been a slight shift since I arrived here in Boston. I think my, my interests, certainly my research interests, uh, have shifted since um, since I arrived here in Boston in 2011. I, I think the other aspect of it is I don't feel such a need to get involved in the day-to-day -day, um, culture, silly culture wars. I mean, certainly I like to get into and comment on ongoing controversies, but at times in Virginia, I guess because I was sort of in the middle of it, literally, um, I, I, I felt a need to, to go further. And, and I think since moving... Uh, to Boston, I, I feel a bit more detached from, um, you know, say what's happening in, in the South right now, um, related to the, the sesquicentennial or, or just the ongoing um, sort of the legacy of the lost cause, what have you. So, so I think there are probably a couple of ways in which the, the content itself has, and the tone, the overall tone has, uh, has shifted. Do you, since you've been going through it, have you had a favorite set of posts or ones that you particularly enjoy rereading or? Um, I, maybe this is going to be so much of a surprise. Um, I think some of the stuff related to what became the book only because um, it's, it's sometimes fun going back and, and actually seeing how some of those ideas evolved uh, in terms of the books that I was reading at the time and, um, and how I was, and just how I was interpreting uh, the crater. I mean, I was thinking, I came across the one post a couple nights ago um, that, that was sort of the very beginning of what I tried to do in the first chapter of the book and understanding, say, how Confederates um, understood the, the presence of black soldiers at the crater. And I thought, oh, isn't it interesting how you can start with something as simple as a blog post and uh, and sort of work it up over time into something that might actually, um, I don't know, stand the test of time oh, or at, sure. least, at, at least for a short time. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's one of the things that's you know, useful about it is you can see, you know, I've been reading lots of posts again for a second time this, this weekend. You can yeah. see the ways in which you're thinking on different questions 
you know, is evolving. Uh, and I thought that was a useful way to, you know, not only for myself, but for, for people yeah. who are, are thinking about how historians think the yeah. ways in which, which, you know, you don't come out. It's not like Athena bursting out of the forehead with, with ideas fully formed. It's a, I think that can be actually incredibly helpful because history right now, um, I guess, especially academic history, it's so politicized that, you know, and especially in the civil war, it's easy to come across people who, who think that, you know, to understand what a historian does, all you really need to know is, uh, first of all, where, where they were born and perhaps more interestingly, uh, what political party they're affiliated with. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think the more historians can actually share the, the kind of day-to-day, um, you know, the nitty-gritty of it all, I, I think that that has some benefit. Um, because it is, it is at least I perceive it to be incredibly politicized within within um, I think within the general public. I don't I, I, obviously I don't mean among academic historians, um, but the but sharing the process uh, I think can help. And you know sometimes my students even come across um, you know my website, and I, I think when they're doing their own research projects, it, it, it's had some benefits as well. So uh, I think there are a number of ways in which it can help. So, so I mean, you, you mentioned your, your students. How, how much interaction do, do your students have with the website? Is this something that, that is sort of well-known, both when you were teaching in Virginia and, and now in, in Massachusetts, or is this something that they discover by accident? Well, I, I think when I'm teaching my Civil War class, um, I, I, they, my students quickly uh, come to the realization that it's a subject that I care deeply about. And so they end up... Um, I usually get questions about my interest and um, oftentimes I'll tell them they might want to check out the blog or I may even include it, uh, you know, on the syllabus itself. Um, and so it's sometimes fun to, you know, they'll, they'll go to it and you know, sometimes they're impressed. Sometimes <laughs> they just like, eh, all right, another blog, like, yeah. another you know, big deal. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I don't, I think I should make one thing clear. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time in my classes, you know, teaching my kids how to research and especially, um, especially learning how to navigate, uh, the internet, uh, especially when it comes to learning how to search and assess online sources. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, you know, if, if they come across my website, you know, <laughs> when they're doing a research project, I tell them to stay away from it. I usually tell them, uh, that, you know, if they find a piece of information that's interesting, that perhaps they should uh, follow up and uh, and perhaps find, you know, an article on a, a database of some sort or um, a reputable journal um, or or book of some sort. So I'm I'm a little bit weary mm-hmm. weary about them using it as um, a a source for research, um, but I think um, you know if if it helps them understand their teacher a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> then that's that's Here's actually, what my particular neuroses are. Don't mention black right. Confederates. That, that's right. If, if you're wondering what I'm doing when I'm not here in the classroom, here you go. Right. <laughs> it's not nearly as exciting as they thought it was. Right. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I mean, some of my favorite posts are ones where you actually talk about the process of teaching. You know, either the Civil War or uh, yeah. Sometimes you took the trip. I guess what last March uh, you took a bunch of students on a civil rights tour. That's right. You know. Uh, I think it's an, one of the things that I particularly enjoy I'm, is the ways in which those kinds of questions sort of intersect with 
you know, the, the more academic questions on the site and way in which they sort of cross fertilize with each other. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've really tried to emphasize that as much as possible in terms of just sharing uh, what I do at actual historic sites. And, you know, that's one of the things I miss about, you know, living in central Virginia. I, you know, when I was teaching the, the Civil War class, I could easily hop on a small bus and in less than an hour I'm in Richmond or I'm up uh, in the Fredericksburg Chancellorsville area. So that was really nice. And to be able to put the kids, you know, on the ground and, and apply what we're, what we're doing in the classroom and have them reflect on uh, things that they're experiencing, you know, at, at the actual site, um, there's, there's nothing better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't get any better than that. And so I think giving teachers uh, an idea of, of, of what you, of what kinds of things you can do. And uh, one of the posts that I still get emails about um, is a couple of posts related to taking my students. I taught a class in Virginia on memory, on Civil War memory. And we spent an entire day in Richmond uh, walking Monument Avenue and Hollywood Cemetery and analyzing the monuments and trying to, you know, obviously understand why they're there, who put them there, et cetera. And, um, you know, the kids had a whole bunch of questions to work with. And um, probably one of the best days um, of my entire teaching career, you know, that that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to sort of throw those questions up on the on the website and just say, here you go, here you go, take them, use them, uh, revise them if you need to. Let me know if you have any questions. Um, and being able to make those kinds of contacts uh, is another aspect of the of the another aspect of the blogging experience that's um, that's been incredible. So how has been teaching the Civil War to students in, in the Boston area different than in yeah. Central Virginia? Yeah, you know, I get that question quite a bit. And, you know, I, I guess I'm not so surprised by this. Maybe others will be. Not much. Um, I, I, think, I think, first of all, I think we tend, and I think the media uh, is in large part responsible for this. I mean, I think the media, whenever it has a chance, loves to emphasize the sort of ongoing war between North and South, right? The sort of endless civil war uh, narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to that, but I think to the extent that it still persists, it's very much um, a generational, generational thing. And I think among high school students, I mean, they have so many other things they care about. Um, worrying about whether or not we are properly glorifying Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson or whether or not we're emphasizing states' rights enough as a cause for secession, it's just not on their radar. And so mm-hmm. at least the kids that I taught uh, in Virginia uh, and very much the case you know, here in, in Boston, um, if they've already learned some American history – more than likely, uh, regardless of, of where they live, they're, they're getting a fairly modern uh, interpretation of the war. And so in terms of the amount of um, unraveling of the lost cause that I need to do or anything else for that matter, um, you know, there isn't, uh, mm. there isn't much to it. And so I, I don't see much of a difference. Uh, others might disagree, and obviously I can only speak to, you know, my own, my own experience, but... Um, and I think that plays into a, a, a broader point. You know, I tend to think that, you know, now that we're at the end of the, the sesquicentennial, I, I think we're, we've reached a point overall in our Civil War memory where uh, we've, we've reached 
a certain distance from the event itself. Um, that that, and I think there's some exceptions to this, but I think there's a certain detachment that um, that, that comes along for the ride um, after a certain point, and I think we're getting there. So does that mean that we're approaching the end of Civil War memory? Uh, I, I, I titled a post <laughs> with, with that uh, not too long ago. I think, well, I think it's always going to be there in various forms. Um, but I think it's, um, I think you're going to have to go, I think you're going to have to look further uh, for it. I don't think it's going to speak uh, so directly to us in the way that it that it once did. I mean, I think in the cases, the best examples perhaps right now, um, if you think of the the extent to which the Confederate flag is just, you know, disappearing from the from the at least the public landscape of yeah. much of the country, I I, I think that's a, a perfect example. Um, Even you know, within the past ten years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I. I and, you know, just going back to, I mean, again, going back to the sesquicentennial, um, the fact that it started this time around as opposed to in the centennial where it started in April of 1961, I mean, this, this time around, at least in Virginia, uh, Virginia started marking the, the sesquicentennial uh, for, for the anniversary of John Brown's raid. I mean, mm -hmm. what does that say about how we're thinking about the, um, the Civil War and, and the memory of the war? So... Just the overall scope of, of, of the sesquicentennial has, I think, radically shifted, um, you know, the, just the, the foundation of, 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 of what, we, what we're calling Civil War memory. Uh, where it's going from here, I, I, I don't know. I, and I'm not trying to sort of put myself out of a job, of course, <laughs> but, um, but I, I do think it's, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to have the kind of, um, you know, spotlight. It's not going to have the kind of public... Uh, attraction that um, mm. uh, that it once had. That's just uh, how I see it. You know, I, I can remember. Uh, I guess this was in two thousand or so. I was teaching yeah. in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah, which of course has, among other things, or at least it did then, uh, Nathan Bedford Forest High School. Right. Which was a, yeah. Go ahead. And I remember uh, I had a saw a Confederate bumper sticker in the car and or in the parking lot of one of the students' yeah. cars. I remember asking my students about it and had the white students tell me for 10 minutes that it was about, you know, Southern heritage or some other kinds of nonsense. And, yeah. you know, after 10 minutes, the one black student in the class saying that he didn't feel welcome at the school as a consequence of it. And a really sort of eye opening experience, you know, for everybody in the classroom, really. Yeah. But I can't see that happening nearly as much now as even in 2000. Right, and of course, the name of that school was recently changed. Yeah. Um, well, I remember when I was teaching in, in, in Jacksonville, uh, you know, when we got to talking about the Klan, you know, I taught at a primary white private school. Invariably, yeah. one of the white students would say, isn't that the same name as the high school? You know, and I'm like, yes. Right, right. Did the isn't that a primarily black school? I'm like, yes. Do you think the students there know that? I'm like, yes, they, right. they know this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to know how deep some of those comments go uh, when when you hear those reactions among among students. Is is this just something they're picking up at mm -hmm. some point? Um, I, I I don't know, um, but it, it's I think hard some not, of them it, got it from their parents. Yeah, I think that's right, and that's again, I think that speaks to the generational aspect. But I think you know overall, it's 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 difficult not to acknowledge the the overall trajectory. I mean, look what's happening right now in Lexington, Virginia, with you know, the removal of the flags from uh, the Lee Chapel, at least the replica flags 
Um, I mean, it just seems all over the place. Um, you know, the symbols are are in retreat, yeah. and and I, I I've always said I, I think I think that's a good thing. I I, I reject the notion that uh, the public removal of of certain symbols is a rejection of the history. Uh, obviously, I think it has uh, you know much more to do with about power and and um, and especially issues of race. But mm-hmm. um, but you know, I'm not worried about the history so much being being forgotten. I think that's going to be uh, with us for well, as long as we have historians and a need to remember the past. But um, but that's I I I think it has been um, you know quite interesting over the last few years, just contrasting the big themes of the sesquicentennial with with the centennial. Now, what the, the ways in which we're thinking about, for example. Um, you know, black soldiers, black union soldiers mm-hmm. specifically. I mean, they weren't on the radar in the 1960s. Sure. Uh, the issue of slavery itself um, uh, and and emancipation. So um, Which it's I, I actually... Go ahead. No, sorry. I, I was just, you know, your book came out sort of, I guess, right in the middle of the sesquicentennial on, on yeah. the crater in which obviously the, the role of both black soldiers in memory really is at the forefront. Are, are you happy with how the sesquicentennial has, has dealt with those issues yeah overall i think it's probably done as as well as it it, it, it could be expected right um i mean the issues are always divisive i mean i find it interesting that we're even talking about um you know many of these um many of these divisive issues um i i do think you know that along you know while i think it's while i think it's an overall positive uh, development. You know, I do think that that we still we look. Americans do love a kind of um, we love a progressive story. We love a story that that is is part of the the ever changing, expanding um, you know place of freedom in this country. And I think the, the 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 Black Civil War soldier narrative certainly plays into that. And the for example, the theme of the uh, of of the National Park Service from civil war to civil rights. I mean, we we want to believe that. Uh, there is this kind of um, inevitable march uh, of freedom. And obviously, I think, especially in the last few years, I can think of any number of books that have sort of thrown a wrench into that idea that's, uh, that it's, it's much messier than that. There was nothing inevitable, inevitable about, uh, about, about the civil rights movement uh, in the 1950s and 60s that um, it's a much more complicated story. And, uh, and I'm thinking of, uh, you know, say, Carol Emberton's sure. new book, um, and a lot of other interesting work on on reconstruction in the in the post war period. Mark Summers's new book on reconstruction, I think, sort of beautifully um, sort of demonstrates the importance of union uh, as the primary goal and, and the way in which union itself, for most Americans, white Americans at least, uh, sort of constituted the the crucial goal of the war, and that once that was met, um, it, it it sort of helps to frame why reconstruction didn't last as long as it did, or uh, the extent that it that it went right in terms of policies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you so, went down to to Petersburg, I guess, for the sesquicentennial of of the Battle of the Crater itself. I did. Were yeah, you did. happy with how that went and how the sort of memory of that particular? And for those people who you know don't remember the the Battle of the yeah. Crater or the details of it, uh, you know, this is a battle that in which you know black soldiers are basically, at least from most accounts, massacred by Confederates in, in the process of of attacking in, in the aftermath of Fort Pelham, yeah, what have you. Yeah. Are you happy yeah. with how that, uh, you know, the ways in which uh, 
the crater was remembered this time around? Yeah, I, I, look, I there. I mean, there are a couple of aspects to consider. On the one hand, um, I think in the post Gettysburg sesquicentennial Gettysburg period, mm-hmm. I think I think to a certain extent enthusiasm has waned, right? Um, and you know, again, so that the crater was was commemorated at all, I think is um, is a positive step. And I think overall, I was I was actually very pleased with. Um, uh, with the uh, with the events, it wasn't you know so extensive. It was um, a series of speakers um, on the day of the anniversary, and then there were a couple of talks, including mine, uh, in the the day or two after. And I would say the crowds were pretty good. I mean, people came out uh, very early in the morning on July thirtieth um, to mark the anniversary, and you know so that was that was encouraging. And I think for the most part. Um, you know, it went well. Um, but, uh, but I think again, I think as, I mean, look, as far as the Petersburg campaign is concerned, uh, that was, that was the high point, I think mm-hmm. for the, uh, for the 150th, it's, it's hard to imagine, uh, some of the smaller battles being sure. commemorated. I think obviously, uh, Fort Fisher was commemorated, uh, this past weekend. And I heard the crowds were actually, you know, pretty substantial. And I think the, the one that, is obviously still remaining is Appomattox. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see, first of all, how it's uh, commemorated. I think the mm-hmm. National Park Service will do a, a great job, as it almost always does. Uh, I think more interestingly, uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see um, how many people show up. Sure. Obviously, Appomattox is uh, sort of off the beaten path. There are so. not any good hotels there. That's right. And <laughs> they know it, <laughs> the people there. Uh, and so they're really trying to... I guess to marshal some resources, mm-hmm. but um, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. And you know, I I'm not expecting much, uh, but I'm I'm hoping that the the post Appomattox, I'm hoping that something is done for for reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Not so much um, uh, the kinds of popular events that we've seen. Um, I mean, one of the problems for the National Park Service, I assume, is we don't really have a specific site. Uh, that is focused on reconstruction, which is unfortunate. But I mean, I'm hoping hoping museums and um, you know other institutions um, uh, attempt to do something. I hope resources are made available to to history teachers because I think you know, look, I think we've gone to a to a certain extent we've corrected. I think some of the problems uh, over the last few years with the Civil War. I think I mean, especially. Um, history teachers certainly have um, a wealth of materials they can uh, can utilize for classroom purposes. But I think Reconstruction, um, I think we're in a very different and depressing place when it comes to our understanding of Reconstruction. It yeah. seems to me that's um, that's that's the next um, that's the next battlefront. No, it's much harder to teach. So I'm yeah, I'm it's, that... it's incredibly depressing. Um, and yeah, and it's complicated. So, but in, but in terms of trying to make sense of, you know, recent events, uh, current events, it seems to me it's much more relevant than, than the civil war. Although I don't want to draw too sharp a distinction between the two. Um, so I, I hope something is done. So the, the sesquicentennial is, is, is sort of wrapping up. What's uh, next on store for you and for the, for the blog website? Well, as I mentioned, um, I've got a brand new um, 
website that's going to be unveiled in about a week or two. It really, it looks amazing. I'm really happy with it. Won't go into too much detail. Um, but I haven't made this public uh, yet on the uh, on the website. But uh, after this school year, I am leaving uh, my present school. So oh. I haven't uh, fully sketched out uh, what I what I'm going to do. But um, I, I really do want to finish uh, and make some progress on, or at least make some progress on a book that I'm writing. And my real dream is if I could do it all over again, I, I would probably go back and study public history and work in a museum. I, I want to end up somehow, I want to, I want to work in a, uh, in a museum at a historic site. I want to work with interpreting history for the general public. And when I first moved to Boston in 2011, that was sort of the plan. And um, I won't go into details, but um, it became more of a necessity that I find find a job and, and teaching uh, was the easiest thing to sure. do. And so being in a very different place now, uh, I want to give that another shot. So I am going to be teaching um, an undergraduate course uh, in the fall semester, which I'm really excited about. I haven't done any college teaching in quite some time. And I'm already hooked up with another company here in Boston uh, to work with um, uh, to work with history teachers, sort of um, professional development, and uh, hopefully going to start doing some volunteer work with um, with a couple museums. I've got my eyes on a few. Um, I mean, and it goes without saying to do this. I mean, Boston is the ideal place. Sure. And, uh, and so there are far worse places you could be for museum work than Boston. Yeah. So, I, I, like I said, I've got my eyes on a, on a few places. Um, one in particular, actually, and, um, and I've already made contact. So, you know, I look, I figured if, if not now, when, so, uh, I, I want to see what I can, what I can do with this. And so I'm, a, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking. I'm not going to, got to be honest here, but, um, you know, it's nice to have a, a supportive wife and, um, and to be, <laughs> and to be in a position where <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. I yes. can do this. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to miss, I'm not leaving uh, teaching because I, I don't like teaching. I uh, teaching for me is it's been a great joy. But um, but you know I do have a, a broader interest in history. And when I think of history education, um, I I do think beyond the classroom. And so I think it's time to explore, you know, just whether the skills that I have can be applied in in other ways. So that's going to be uh, that's the next move. <laughs> All right. Well, if there are any uh, museum directors listening in Boston, the Boston area, yes. hire, hire Kevin because I, I think you won't regret it. I appreciate that. Well, Kevin, it's been really great having you on the show. I really appreciate it. I've been a fan of, of your work for, for years and years, and so it was really uh, a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much, David, and uh, hope we can catch up in person again at some point soon. Sounds great. All right. So that was my conversation with Kevin Levin. Um, if you haven't done so already, be sure to check out his blog, Civil War Memory, and to uh, Get a copy of his book. Uh, you can get a copy there on his website, um, Remembering the Battle of the Crater, War is Murder, which is really an excellent read. Um, as always, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. If you want to leave a review there, that would be great too. Uh, we're also available on Stitcher and a handful of other uh, Android podcasting um, venues. Uh, as always, this is David Silkenet. Until next time, thanks for listening.